from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 1 to 8 and then skipping to verse 26 and reading down to the end of the chapter. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan, that is, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This was after he had defeated Sion, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon and at Edrei, and at Edrei had defeated Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moaz began to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You've stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighbouring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say, the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw Anakites there. Then I said to you, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how God, the Lord, the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. When the Lord, your God, heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, no one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give to your ancestors except Caleb, son of Zephaniah. He will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Because of you, 
the Lord became angry with me also and said, you shall not enter it either. But your assistant, Joshua, of Nun, Joshua the son of Nun, will enter it. Encourage him, because he will lead Israel to inherit it. And the little ones that you said would be taken captive, your children who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them and they will take possession of it. But as for you, turn around and set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. Then you replied, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight as the Lord our God commanded us. So every one of you put on his weapons, thinking it easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said to me, tell them, do not go up and fight because I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. So I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command and in your arrogance, you marched up to the hill country. The Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way to Hormah. You came back and wept before the Lord, but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. And so you stayed in Kadesh many days, all the time you spent there. Here ends the reading. Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's great to be here among many uh, old friends and, um, and lots of people who I haven't uh, yet met. Uh, after the service, um, I'll be around for a little bit, but I need to head off to our estate service and our lunch at, um, uh, at 12 o'clock. So I'll say hello to as many people as I can after. Uh, Deuteronomy is a book, perhaps the book in the Bible that is meant to be preached. Deuteronomy is actually a sermon or three sermons. You might not get that on first reading and here is why I think that might be the case. Because Deuteronomy is like chili, chili the, the food. Uh, our family lived in Pakistan, we were missionaries and many of you prayed for us during that time. And so we like hot, spicy food, lots of chilli. Now, if you've had chilli, you know that when you taste it, the spicy kick doesn't usually come immediately. There's been many times in our family when someone's been dared to taste something and you taste it, no, no, that's fine, it's not spicy at all. And then a minute later, it kicks in and they're apologising. Every time I come back to Deuteronomy, I don't find it that exciting on the first reading. Just like chili, it takes time to kick in. It also, uh, chili and curry matures when you leave it for a few days in the fridge or even in the freezer. It gets stronger and more tasty. 
Uh, the point is that it takes time, but Deuteronomy is well worth the time you invest in it. The more time you give it, the richer it gets. Now, in Pakistani kawis especially, uh, they don't always take out um, some bits that you shouldn't eat, bits of cardamom and pepper, uh, peppercorns and other things. Um, there are some tricky bits in Deuteronomy, and especially with the uh, current, um, what's going on in the world at the moment, in Gaza and all kinds of issues relating to land, even in our own country. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on those today. Um, there are other sermons and opportunities in your connect group. You can come and talk to me later um, if you want to go into some of those tricky issues. Today, I'm um, putting them aside and are focusing on the wonderful flavor that we find in this book. So Deuteronomy is like a spicy chili sermon. It's a really powerful sermon. It's meant to hit not your tongue, but your heart and challenge you. You're meant to feel it right here. It's meant to have a long aftertaste, hopefully, not just for this afternoon, but for the rest of your life. And the, the kick, unlike chili, comes in two parts. You see, there's, there's the challenge to your life that you really feel, but there's also where the real heat, the, the warmth kicks in when you feel God's deep, long-suffering, constant love for you, for all his children. And we might even say there's a, a third kick, that when you feel the pain of the conviction of your sin. Deuteronomy is a book, is also a book of the law. We saw the, the two law textbooks. The name means second law. It repeats the law from Mount Sinai. And uh, whenever Mount Sinai comes up, um, sorry, whenever Mount Horeb comes up in the text, uh, in the verses we're reading, um, that is the same as Mount Sinai. It has a different name. That's the place where God gave um, the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. So my question is, how, how can a book be both a powerful sermon that touches our hearts and a book of law. They don't quite go together, do they? But in Deuteronomy, we have the word law alongside the words love and trust. We've already heard that famous verse, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. Jesus said that's what sums up the law, love. We might not put law, love and trust together, but God does. We might think that a book of the law, like the, uh, the Australian Constitution, is there to help us to go to sleep, not to deeply challenge us. But for God and for Moses, the law isn't just a list of do this and don't do that. The law is God showing us what he is like, God showing us what he likes, God showing us his character. It shows us how to have a relationship with our God, our Father, what he likes, what he doesn't, how not to offend him. 
Uh, when I first started going out with uh, my wife Jenny, uh, who I met here at St Jude's at Uni Church, uh, she, I wish that she would have given me the Jenny version of the book of Deuteronomy so that I would have known what she likes and what she doesn't like and didn't have to guess. I guess I could have just asked her. That would not have been, and that would not have been a boring book. Very entertaining, in fact. But Deuteronomy doesn't just show us um, what... Can, can we have the outline, thanks, um, on the slides, thank you. Um, the, it doesn't only show us what God wants from us, what we have to do to obey the law. The first four chapters of Deuteronomy, and we're just looking at chapter one today, they get us ready by showing us the story of what God has already done for his people how he has already more than kept his side of the relationship, even when they gave him every reason not to, even when God's people were unfaithful. Any intimate relationship requires trust. Here in Deuteronomy, God is doing his bit. God is bending over backwards to show them his track record, why he can be trusted. And that's when the chilly kick starts to hit. This is the good bit. This is where we feel the heat, the warmth, where God shows us how he has loved, protected, and cared for them in the past, where they're bowled over by God's incredible, long-suffering, constant love for them. This is where you're really meant to feel, hey, God really does love me. Then once that starts to kick in, once we start to savour, taste God's love, then the second spicy kick comes, and that is our response, the challenge. God is saying, I love you in actions and in words. If someone says that to you in a romantic relationship or a parent to a child, the hoped-for response is, I love you too. It can get a bit awkward if that response doesn't come, can't it? But of course, if all goes well, you reply with your lips, you might give them a hug, you feel loved and honoured, you're motivated, your natural instinctive reaction is to return that love, isn't it? This is what theirs and our response to Deuteronomy is meant to look like. Passionate response to God with all our heart. And what does that look like? A life of trust and obedience, following God even when it's hard, trusting him when you don't understand, even when things aren't going well. That is the right way to respond to God's law. We respond to God because we love him, because we trust him. Not to earn his love. That wouldn't be love and trust. That's kind of more like a transactional relationship, like an employee responding to get their pay or a slave. And, and can you see that if and when we disobey God, that's actually a betrayal of trust. 
It shows we don't love him with all our heart. There are some bits of our heart that we're keeping for ourselves or for something or someone else. It says, I think I know better. I don't want to do things your way, God. So there is the message of Deuteronomy in a nutshell. If your heart begins to stir a little today, then you'll have got what Deuteronomy, what Moses was intending. But we need God's help for that, his spirit, to touch our hearts. Let's ask him now. Our Lord and our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your passionate love for us. Please help us today and always to respond appropriately with hearts of love, trust and obedience. Help us to learn the lessons you have for us in Deuteronomy. In Jesus' name, amen. So Deuteronomy contains laws, stories and history. The story of God's faithful love and kindness towards his children, his long-suffering constancy. And actually all of that together in the Bible is called law, all the way from Genesis to Deuteronomy, those things together. So we get what God has done for his people, chapters 1 to 4, and then what God asks from them, how we respond in the rest of the book. So today we're going to look at the story first, and then uh, what we learn about God and his love, his long-suffering constancy, and then we reflect on the response of the people and what that means for us. Uh, if you, um, you can find the text in, um, in the news sheet that you had when you came in, and it'd be great to follow along. So the start of the story. Uh, if we can have the map. In verse 1, we see the place where God speaks, where Moses speaks to God's people in the wilderness and to the east of Jordan. Now, this is just my sketch from Google Earth. Uh, number four is very roughly, maybe within 100 kilometers of where they were. Um, getting ready, the Jordan is, um, is the border and getting ready to go in. Um, but before Moses begins to speak in verse 6, we get some background. In verse 2, we get a random fun fact that it takes 11 days to walk from Horeb, Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments were given, to Kadesh Barnea. That might be useful for your next trivia night. Um, that is from um, number one, uh, is where they were in Egypt, roughly, crossing the Red Sea, maybe there, all the way down to number two, where Sinai was, Mount Horeb, and then uh, the journey from number two to number three, Horeb to Kadesh Barnea, takes 11 days. Now you know. The important thing is, um, now can we have the next slide? This is our outline. Uh, the important thing is they're not now in Kadesh Barnea. They were, but they're not now... That is where they could have entered the land. Now they're on this side, on the east, able to go in, or your side, it's the east. Um, but um, now, before, they were over there at the bottom, Kadesh Barnea. God had asked them to go in 40 years ago, not 11 days ago, 40 years ago. It would have saved a lot of time 
40 years if they'd have gone in then. So knowing that they still aren't there after 40 years, just imagine the kids on the back of the camel, you know, are we there yet? Um, Now, thankfully, they're getting ready to go in 40 years later. I suspect they did not really want to be reminded of that fun fact. Well, the other fact that we get in verse 4 is that Moses had defeated the kings Og and Sihon. In chapter 3, next week, we'll learn that Og is, or, or was, I guess, a giant. Og's bed was made of iron, and it was four meters long, we're told. Presumably, he was a little bit shorter than that. His toes didn't hang over the edge. Uh, But the point is that God has been with his people. He's already given them great victories. They've defeated a giant, perhaps anticipating David and Goliath. This is really important. I've already said this. This is showing us God's track record. God can be trusted. He's been reliable in the past, and he will continue to care for them in the future. Will they believe it? especially in the near future, when God is about to ask them to do a hard thing, something their parents didn't do. This is going to come up over and over again in Deuteronomy. You see, if God is calling them to love him with all your heart and to back that up, to show that love by trusting him, even when it doesn't make sense, First, before God puts that request on them, God is showing them his heart. God is showing them how he relates to them, what he has already done. He doesn't just say, I love you. He shows it. He protects them. He has a long-suffering, constant love for them, even when they didn't deserve it. So we have an unpleasant memory, Kadesh Barnea, and two defeated kings. Now, in verse 5, Moses starts his sermon. Moses begins by taking them back 40 years down memory lane to Horeb, Sinai, where they received the Ten Commandments, the rest of the law. That, for them, was a much more pleasant memory. That is where it all started. So just, if you're a bit confused, we've jumped around history a bit, In verse 2, we were reminded of Kadesh Barnea 40 years ago. took 11 days to get there from Sinai. Then we skip forward to the recent past, the defeat of the kings. That's just recently happened before Moses is speaking to them. And now Moses goes back to Sinai before Kadesh Barnea, 11 days before that. Um, Another thing that you might find a bit confusing is that Moses uses the language you and us when he's talking about 40 years ago. 40 years ago, they were children, babies, or twinkles in their mother's eyes. But Moses speaks to them as if they were there with him, as if they remember it vividly. We'll come back to why he does that. Well, God's love, the next slide. So now we jump to... Verse 26, on the the, the, um, separate part in your handout. And what the bit we've missed, uh, that we've skipped over, is they they get to the edge of the promised land, 
Um, that was Kadesh Barnea. They sent 12 spies in to survey the land. The spies come back. 10 of the spies say, it's too hard. We can't do it. There were giants in the land. They had big walls. And then two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, they said, we can do it with God's help. Who did they listen to? We pick up the story in verse 26. We see there the people refusing to take the land that God had given them. They heard the report about the giants and they said to Moses in, um, in 28, which you don't have there, our brothers made our hearts melt in fear, our brothers the spies. In response to their fear, we now have Moses replying to them with words of encouragement from God. Verse 29, then I said to you, do not be terrified, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord God, your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place where you are now. Let's now take a few minutes to savour the beautiful, fragrant spice in, the, in these verses. Uh, October 2002 was our second year in Pakistan. We were living near to Maori Christian School, which is a school for missionary kids. There was a terrorist attack at the school. Uh, some gunmen walked through. The students, unharmed, were hiding under their desks, hearing the gunfire outside. That, for them, was a moment of fear and terror. But in that moment, one of the students started to sing, our God is an awesome God, and others joined in. At that moment, God carried those teachers and those students. God was there for them. And actually, over those couple of years, many students who at that time um, said they weren't Christians, it was actually hard to be a Christian in a missionary kids' school. They moved to Thailand, and that next year, there was a whole lot of baptisms. The us-you language that Moses uses says, you were there then. You are part of God's people now and were then with your parents. And that us and you is for us as well, you and I. We were there with them. That was us in the same way as we are in Christ. We are all God's people. As God dealt with them now, it is as if he was dealing with us. He deals with us today with that same love and kindness and protection. So imagine a time when you might be feeling afraid or, ter or terrified. Hear these words. Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid. Sometimes when someone says that, it makes you feel more scared, unless it's a person 
someone who can actually make a difference, who can stop it, who can help you feel better. The Lord your God is going before you. He will fight for you. We need to say, this is not promising automatic victory for every problem that you might have. You might feel like you're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. But it's showing us what our God is like, the God who has your back, who is reliable, who you can trust, who sees the bigger picture, who will achieve his good purposes for you, for his people. Some some more of the the phrases there. In Egypt, before your very eyes, again, as if you were there, God sending the plagues, opening up the water, the snakes we saw, um, opening up the water so that they walked across on dry land. In the wilderness, protecting them with a cloud to give them shade from the hot sun in the desert, to guide them afar at night, to keep them warm in the cold of a desert night. God searching out places for them to camp in verse 32, coming ahead of them, getting it ready. In verse 31, the summary, you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way until you reached this place. You need to use your imagination when the Bible says God carries us on wings like eagles but I know what it feels like for a father to carry his son. I have warm memories and photos of my own father carrying me. And how long did God do this for? All the way until you reach this place. Before we move on, we need to understand that these words are spoken To those people in that situation, of course, we're learning what God did for his people, how he cares, what his character is like. But those words are not spoken directly to modern-day Israel today. That is God's salvation history leading to Jesus. Today... We begin the idea of them going in and taking the land. There'll be more about that next week and, um, and maybe some more ways for us to understand what that means today. Um, what we're looking at today is God's long-suffering, constant love shown in fulfilling his promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Moses. Well, we've seen God's love. How did God's people respond? Back to verse 26. You were unwilling. You rebelled. You grumbled. You said the Lord hates us. You said God brought us out of Egypt to destroy us. God, you're not good. Not just apathetic, uncaring, ignorant, but God, you're acting with evil intentions towards us. Notice again the you language. In spite of this, all the wonderful things we've learned about God in verse 32, they did not trust him. And because of their unbelief, their lack of trust, their lack of love, God sent them back into the desert for 40 years. 
But then, before that happens, they, they try to fix it. Have you ever upset someone and then you try and fix it and, and you make it worse? In verse 41, they say, okay, okay, we'll do it now. Off they go. And then with the, they, they just have this sudden change of mind. It was impossible and now it's easy. Maybe they're assuming, presuming that God is now with them. Maybe they think they can do it on their own. We don't hear them praying. We just, they just suddenly think they can do it and off they go. Just, we can imagine how that turned out. Verse 44, like a scene from a cartoon, they flee like people running from a swarm of bees. And now they weep. It feels like their weeping is sorry for themselves. And then God pays no attention to them. God turns a deaf ear. This is really sad and really serious. And another place where our heart is really touched with pain. You see, the fact that God hears our prayers is is so important, of great comfort to us. Now God wasn't listening to them. Has God abandoned them? It it certainly seems that way, and that's kind of where we're left at the end of the chapter. But to give you the, the spoiler alert, in the following chapters, God is actually listening to them. God is actually protecting them, taking them all through the wilderness, giving them water, looking after them, and even as they're getting near the land with Sihon and Og. Later in Deuteronomy, we won't get to this bit in in this series, uh, but God talks about what will happen if, actually when, the people stray. When they go into the land, this, this new group, when they stop trusting, loving and obeying God. When they stray, yes, God will punish them, God will send their enemies to defeat them and take them out of the land, send them to Babylon. But at that time, that's not the end. As as this is not the end, the 40 years in the wilderness had an end. So will the second exile or their exile. When they're suffering God's punishment, when they're far away in another land in Babylon, then they will cry out to God and he will hear them. And he will rescue them. And then, of course, in Bible history, we move through to Jesus, don't we? Uh, My daughter, Liz, is doing Year 12 at the moment. I'm sure there are a few others here doing Year 12. In September, they did practice exams under exam conditions. We used to call it October tests. And um, I remember we were told you improve maybe 10% from your um, October test and your final result. Uh, Of course, straight after Liz got her September results, she put them into the ATAR calculator to get an idea of what she might expect for her final exams. And then, in the last uh, week or so ago, someone in our house had COVID. And we're thinking, oh, what happens if Liz can't sit the exams? What do they do? Apparently, Something like this. They did a thing called a GAT test. 
and then the teacher submits uh, a, um, an indicator of how they think the student might go and that gives them a calculation of what they'll get if they don't get to sit the exams. The point is, the past performance is used as an indicator for uh, the future performance or even the present performance. We do that with stocks, with disclaimers, we do that with football, cricket players, with cars, with friendships. These stories, the history that Moses gives us, is what we might call God's GAT score. And he got 100%. His past performance is reliable, true, exact indicator of his faithfulness in the future. You always get those disclaimers with stocks, you know, past performance is not a reliable indicator of the future. We don't always keep up, follow what our track record says we should do. But God doesn't change. That's not a boring fact about God. It means we can trust him. He's not going to change. Jenny and I have been watching a TV series called The Good Doctor about a doctor who has uh, autism uh, called Sean. And there was this one episode that talked about change and relationships. Uh, there was even a guy who wanted to live for a thousand years. He was trying all this new medicine. And Sean got concerned about what happens when people change and they drift apart. And then... Um, and, and if, how that will affect the relationship. At the end of the episode, he decides um, there'll be a warning when he or his girlfriend are changing and then they'll both change together. Well, that may or may not work out. God's solution is he doesn't change in a good way, yet again. His good qualities, his reliability, his promises never fail. That's why we can be secure and sure. This is a sermon. The application is, do you believe it? We have more than Moses did. We have Jesus and the cross. We have the early church. We have 2,000 years of church history. We have our own lived experience with God. There is no question that he will continue to be reliable. Muslims don't know if Allah will accept them. They need to hope for the best, try really hard. Maybe he'll say yes. We have absolute certainty. It might not feel like it now. Maybe you feel like you're in the wilderness, in the middle of the story. But God's track record shows that he will be there. He will come through. Will you believe it? Will you trust him? Will you obey? Let's pray and ask for God's help now. Our Lord and God, we thank you for your long-suffering, constant love for us. Help us to believe it. Calm our fears and our terrors. Give us trust in you and help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen.